Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Berean Post devotional podcast. Been gone for a bit, but it's good to be back. For those of you that have been following along, we're going to pick up in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 to 12. It's a lengthy passage, but I'm just going to jump in as is my uh, custom. Paul says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to, re, to, ref, uh, to refrain from working? Whoever goes toward his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does, or does the law not say the same also? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God's concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. It is written that he who plows should plow in hope, that he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of this hope, of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partaker of this right over you, are we not even more? We've discussed how reading the Apostles' letters is like overhearing a one-sided telephone conversation. Right from the beginning, Paul doesn't just respond to questions from the Corinthians. He also actively defends the legitimacy of his role as an Apostle against accusations. Paul doesn't mention explicit details about the accusations against him in this letter. However, by looking at various parts of his writing, we can gather some general themes uh, and, con and concerns that might have led to challenges to his legitimacy as an apostle. Certain people in the Corinthian community have questioned Paul's authority and whether or not he was a, a true apostle. Well, this skepticism could have stemmed from his past as a persecutor of Christians, you know, or his not being directly associated with the original Twelve. Since Paul didn't accompany Jesus during his time on earth, it created doubts about his apostolic credentials, and some may have questioned if he truly qualified as a legitimate apostle. Disputes over Paul's teachings and practicings, especially his approach to Matters like dietary laws and the inclusion of Gentiles in the Christian community might have added to challenges against his apostleship. In the passage we're looking at today, it seems that Paul dealt with questions or criticisms about receiving financial support from the Corinthians. Some may have wondered if he had the right to get material support or accused him of financial wrongdoing. Paul hints at personal attacks and criticisms against him in different parts of his letters, which may have included challenges to his character, integrity, or even physical appearance. In this letter, Paul strongly argues for the rights and privileges that should come with being an apostle. He claims that, like other apostles and leader, he, leaders, he has a right to enjoy basic needs like food and drink and to have a believing wife. Using uh, relatable examples, he questions whether those who go to war pay for it themselves, or if it's those who or if those who tend a, uh, to a vineyard don't get to enjoy its fruit. And then Paul, he references the law. He says, furthermore, 
um, with regard to the law of Moses, he explicitly mentions the principle that you shouldn't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And then he cleverly removes from the application of this law to an ox into a broader metaphorical interpretation. Here Paul argues that the law isn't primarily about oxen, instead it's written for human workers asserting the right to enjoy the outcomes of their, of their labor. Paul emphasizes the exchange in ministry drawing parallels between sowing spiritual things and reaping material support. He argues that those who benefit spiritually from his ministry should understand the appropriateness of providing material support in return. So by doing this, Paul aligns his rights as an apostle with the broader practice of the other apostles who did receive such support. Well, with regards to application, the apostle Paul didn't embrace the role of an apostle because he saw it as a favorable career move. In his letters, Paul repeatedly emphasized that he was called to be an apostle. The prospect of any financial reward did not influence his response to this call. We believe that this motivation should be shared by everyone aspiring to enter the ministry. According to Paul, this, this decision should not hinge on the promise of financial compensation, but rather a call of God. Paul cautions against harboring resentment, particularly if a pastor notices that he hasn't experienced economic prosperity like his peers in later ministry. At one point, he said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, I've learned to be content whether to abase or whether to abound. The ideal of a minister receiving a stipend or a salary from a local assembly may be unfamiliar from the perspective of the New Testament writers. Similar to the concept of the Hebrew tithe doesn't have any clear direction in the, in the Gospels. St as, uh, stating a, a specific that there's, no, there's nothing in the Gospel that states that we're to give a 10% tithe as a requirement. And if there was some form of designated offering, it would probably not adhere to strictly a 10% standard, but, but instead reflect a deep, deep commitment, possibly even the giving of one's entire resources. Well, this theological standpoint is based on the belief that our very existence has been redeemed at a cost, signifying that everything we own unequivocally belongs to Christ, acquired through the sacrifice of his blood. However, certain principles in the Bible remain steadfast. Firstly, the recognition that giving is more significant than receiving. Secondly, that regardless of the extent of regularity, the regularity of our generosity, it should stem from a spirit of gratitude and joy. The message in the scripture is clear. God delights in a cheerful giver. So revisiting the ideal of pastors receiving a salary, as previously mentioned, this concept appears not explicitly endorsed by the New Testament. However, there's no doubt about the responsibility of those who derive spiritual nourishment from their teachers, pastors, and mentors. When someone dedicates themselves to the spiritual well-being and care of a congregation, it becomes that congregation's duty to fulfill that person's needs. But the question arises in what manner? And regrettably, a prevalent attitude among many members in congregations is to embrace this mindset of poverty, at least with regards to the pastor. Some believe that the pastor will provide for the minister's needs while distancing themselves from recognizing their role as the means through which God extends that provision to the pastor or minister. <laughs> well, it, it may sound somewhat romantic, 
Our vision includes a minister who prioritizes the needs of the congregation, fully invested in safeguarding and nurturing the members without seeking any financial retribution. This aligns with Paul's belief that God will meet and provide for all of their needs. In this vision, we also imagine a congregation that embraces the principles of giving over accumulating, drawing inspiration from Philippians where we are encouraged to consider others more significant than ourselves. While this may be viewed as romantically naive, surely it doesn't escape the realm of possibility.